Welcome to Let's Get Writing, the podcast that explores the creative process of writing from books, scripts, plays, and poems to songs and blogs. This series focuses on authors, publishers, and artists. Catherine's guests share their process of writing in all its forms. Listen along to discover the personal journeys behind their work. Explore options from indie to traditional publishing and learn tips and secrets to inspire you. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. I'm Katherine Taylor. Let's Get Writing is all about the writing process from creation to publication. Here is where you find inspiration, ideas, and meet the people behind the books. We bring life to books and so much more. And today my guest is a research horticulturalist at the Memorial University Botanical Garden. As a result of his love of gardening, he is the author of several books, and I'm sure you're going to be quite impressed. These include Wildflowers of Nova Scotia, Wildflowers of New Brunswick, Wildflowers and Ferns of Newfoundland, Trees and Shrubs of the Maritimes, Trees and Shrubs of Newfoundland and Labrador, Favorite Perennials of Atlantic Canada, and now what we're going to be talking about today, Shrubs and Vines for Atlantic Canada. But you know, that's not all for this year for my guest. He's also going to be bringing out a book that I'm sure is going to be extremely popular, and that's going to be called A Newfoundland Garden. So I can't wait to talk to him. I'm going to welcome him to the show, and I'd like you all to meet Todd Boland. And we're just going to bring him right up in the stream now and say hello. Hi, Todd. Hi, Catherine. <laughs> it was a lot of books to read. A lot of, You've been very busy over the past few years. Uh, yeah, I think it started, oh my gosh, probably a better part of almost, almost 10 years ago now. Wow. And it's so nice to have this information on our region in particular, because I'm sure there are challenges to our weather as Newfoundlanders. We sure know that. And yeah. would I be yeah? Would I be safe in saying you're somewhat of an expert in this area? Um, I guess I mean I've been living in Newfoundland all my life, and I've been gardening since since forever, <laughs> it seems. So I think you know I, I certainly have 45 years at least of experience in gardening here in Newfoundland. I know the challenges, um, you know, and I've grown a little bit of everything. I've grown vegetables. Uh, then I moved out of vegetables into perennials and trees and shrubs. And then for a number of years, I was teaching horticulture at the College of the North Atlantic when they had a program going on there. And most recently now, for 16 years, I've been working as a horticulturist here at the Mund Botanical Garden, which is really a dream job for someone with, with my love of plants. Absolutely. And and when you go through what you have done, yeah, I'm going to say that you're an expert. I'm welcoming an expert to the show on, on our region. And you haven't just focused on Newfoundland because your books, you've looked at other provinces as well. And um, so how do we how do we fare? Are there lots of options for gardeners here and and vegetable growers in our region? There's, you know, I guess the whole purpose of writing these books in the first place was that we didn't have anything that was dedicated really to our region. And by our region, I'm referring to being even beyond the land going into Atlantic Canada. And, you know, most of the books you buy these days on gardening are from Ontario or they're from British Columbia or they're from the United States and their climate and their growing conditions and the plants they can grow are completely different from what we grow here in Atlantic Canada. 
So certainly from an Atlantic Canadian point of view, Newfoundland is certainly the most challenging climate to try to grow anything. Um, and in particular, along the coast of Newfoundland. So even though certainly like central uh, Newfoundland would be more similar, we'll say, to many parts of central uh, New Brunswick or central Nova Scotia. But when it comes to the coastal areas of Newfoundland, you're talking about the northeast coast, say Fogo, Twilling Gate, um, even here in St. John's, we have far more challenges, we'll say, to trying to grow a successful garden than what um, equivalent gardeners would have in other parts of the province or other parts of Atlantic Canada. Absolutely. And we were talking earlier before before the show, and we talked about some of the kind of micro uh, zones, or I'm not quite sure the word I used, climates. Yeah, like when you take uh, in Newfoundland, the Codroy Valley, for example, when I go over there, that's like this little oasis <laughs> in the middle, you know, the temperatures there and, and the fruit trees that I had seen there. So Newfoundland seems to have a lot of variety depending on where you go. I'm in central and right. you know, you, I mean, our trees here are quite a lot different than the trees I see when I drive East, for example. Exactly. So what you're seeing in, in coastal areas here, particular say coastal Avalon Peninsula, uh, the Northeast coast is our big, big problem here is wind. And so we get a lot more wind here along the coast than what you would in central Newfoundland or even what the Codroy Valley would get. And um, outside of Wreck House, of course, it's completely different. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, um, our wind is our limiting factor. So as you mentioned, you know, the trees in Central look quite different from the trees here um, on the Avalon. And it's a, it's a wind factor primarily. So your same tree, if you were growing a maple tree in Central, it might get to 50 feet. That same tree growing here in St. John's might only get to 25 or 30 feet. And it's essentially the wind that's sort of, compacting the branches, compacting the tree, keeping the tree bushier perhaps than what they would be in central, um, but at the same time keeping them shorter as well. You know, Todd, when when you think about things like that and the fact that we're on the island, and it seems like our weather changes quickly with the wind and, and that sort of thing. When I was looking through your book and I wanted to understand it better, I looked at hardiness zones and I wanted to say, well, what's ours? It's not Florida, that's for sure, which I was wishing it was. <laughs> but, you know, how how important is that that people pay attention to this? So hardiness zones are really the make or break in a lot of cases to your success with growing a particular plant in your area. So it's very important um, as a gardener, first and foremost, is to find out what zone are you in. And the Canadian system, it basically runs from zero to 10, 10 being basically tropical. Um, and zero being the high Arctic. So here in Newfoundland, uh, the East Coast here in St. John's, we're considered a 5B. And in the Canadian system, they divide the, the, the zones from an A to a B. So a B is milder than an A. So we're 5A, other parts of the Avalon be 5B. So they're a little titch bit colder than what we would be here right on the coast. In the central Newfoundland, around the area where you're to, I believe you're probably around a zone 4A or 4B. So you're a little bit colder, again, and what the Avalon would be. You go up to St. Anthony and they're down to like a 3A, 3B. So they're that much further north, they're that much colder. And these hardiness zones really are based upon the minimum winter temperature that a plant can tolerate. So, you know, every plant will have its breaking point for how cold it can tolerate. 
So if you're like a Japanese maple, they're listed as zone 5B, very, very specific. So we can grow them here in St. John's. You go into St. Anthony, you'd be practically impossible to grow a Japanese maple there. It's just too cold in the winter to keep these plants happy. In central Newfoundland, you might get away with it if you happen to have a nice mild microclimate. And there certainly are microclimates in central Newfoundland. Even the Cadroy Valley is considered a zone 4B. But as you mentioned, there's, it's, it's milder, it's warmer. You just go that a half hour drive to Port of Basque and it's like a different world when you go between those two. So even though they're just sort of all lumped as zone uh, 4B, you know, the Cadroy is actually much milder than what Port of Basque would be. So you can get away with growing things in the Cadroy that you couldn't get away with growing in Port of Basque. So you got to take it all with a very large grain of salt at times, but at least it's a starting point. Okay, so use your hardiness zones, find out what zone you're in. And in all my gardening books, I do have a hardiness zone map there. So all you got to do is look at the map to find out what region you're in. And then so use that as your starting point to decide what am I going to grow in my garden? And that's in particular for if you're growing perennials or trees or shrubs. It doesn't matter if you're growing annuals. It doesn't matter if you're growing vegetables because they're not going through a winter outdoors here. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true enough. And I think working with the uh, suppliers here on the province, they must have a pretty good idea as well what to bring in because obviously they want return business and if everything fails. So I'm thinking that's a, a good place for besides your book, once you actually want the, the products to go out and check out your local suppliers. And, exactly. Yeah. So go to your local and, and I want to stress, you really want to go to a local nursery in your region. And talk to them because like you say they will know exactly what the hardiness rating is they will know what plants do best in that particular growing area the box stores on the other hand you know they're just bringing in plants it's the same plants right across the whole country so you may not necessarily be getting plants there that are really geared for Newfoundland's climate so again it's sort of buyer beware in that regards and of course a lot of their staff are just not going to be knowledgeable because they're you know the garden center is not their primary job at that particular box store. Whereas mm -hmm. in nursery, those people are there and they're working 24 seven with plant material. So they're the ones that are going to have the answers that you're looking for. Mm, and that's been my experience. A hundred percent. We have some great nurseries here and you go in and they're very, very helpful. And then if you go to somewhere where somebody just filling in for a couple of months, it's completely different. And uh, so that's a very good tip um, for people to keep in mind. If you're not going to go where there's help, know your stuff. And that would definitely not be me. <laughs> not at this point. I'm working on it. I, 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 I'm very interested and I don't know what's come over me. Maybe it's something with COVID and being home more that I can regularly water things. I don't know. Are you seeing any trends happening since people started staying around home? There's no doubt about it. Um, a lot of the local nurseries, I mean, I'm in sort of fairly con constant contact with the local nurseries here. And, um, you know, they thought last year when everything started getting shut down last winter, um, and they thought, oh, we're not going to make any business this summer. So a lot of their material, they just didn't grow it. They didn't grow enough because they didn't, the worst thing you can have as a nursery is material left over that you got to throw away. So they reduced the number of plant material that they were growing and they got caught with their pants down. Because because of COVID, a lot of people were at home. What do I do? And they started picking up gardening. And this is a trend that happened right across Canada. I'm sure it probably happened across most of the world. Um, 
in that regard. So gardening took a real upswing and a lot of the local nurseries really were caught with known plant material by the beginning of June. People were going plant crazy. So this year they went the opposite. This year they've got lots of material and they're loving it because the nurseries, I know going around nurseries here on the weekends now, it, they are blocked, they're blocked solid. And I've certainly seen far more people gardening here than I've ever seen before. Um, and in particular, we're starting to see now younger people. I mean, traditionally gardening was more for the retirees, we'll say, you know, people had mm -hmm. extra time on their hands. But of course, a lot of younger people were laid off during COVID, so they had extra time in their hands and they picked up gardening, in particular vegetable gardening. And so that's what we saw. We've seen a huge increase in the number of people, old and young, that want to grow their own produce here. Um, and I suspect that's not going to change because once you get a taste for, you know, fresh grown vegetables from your own garden and you compare those to, you know, what you buy in the supermarkets, which have been bouncing around for God knows how long mm -hmm. and from wherever in the world, just uh, nothing like having your own fresh produce. Hmm. I agree. I, I started a couple of little above ground gardens. Um, the kind of you build a box. I'm not quite sure what you call them, a box Raised garden. Beds. Raised, Raised beds. beds. Thank you. I had, this, I had those terms down, but how quickly they leave <laughs> me. <laughs> By this time next year, I'll know there it you all. Go. <laughs> but I, I did two last year and it was really fun. Go out and pick your lettuce, your kale, and bring it in, make your salad. You're not kidding. It tastes incredible. And Definitely. I'm doing it again this year. So you're right. <laughs> it, you must, it must be something in it to bring you back again. And now the other thing I wanted to ask you about, when I looked at the book, I kept seeing words like China, Japan, and think, I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, you know, aren't these plants our plants? Where, what, What's up with that? Where do plants come from was the question that popped into my mind. We just always see them and assume they're our plants, but maybe not. Maybe not. So, you know, I've often talked to people and asked them, say, do you know where your bleeding heart came from? And they'll say, oh, it came from my neighbor down the street, or I picked it up at a local nursery. And I said, no, no, no. I said, but, but where did really, like, where did the wild bleeding heart come from? And most people just sort of, I don't know, I guess, probably from Canada, you know, or it might have come from Europe. And, uh, and a lot of people are surprised when I say, well, no, it actually came from Japan. That's where, you know, if you want to go to see a wild bleeding heart growing in the forest, you go to Japan to see it. And, you know, a lot of people are like really surprised by that. So I sort of wanted to put that information in there just to make, keep people thinking, you know, that gardening is, is a real worldwide thing, you know, and as gardeners, we need to be, be, be aware, I suppose, of, you know, what are some of these other parts of the world that are very important um, as origins for a lot of our garden plants. So, we here at the Botanical Garden, for instance, we have a garden that's devoted to Asian plants specifically. And people come and they're really, really surprised when they see things like peonies and they see hydrangeas, they see wygelas, and they say, well, geez, I'm growing all these plants in my garden. I never knew they came from Asia, right? So it's it, there's very much, I like to put an education aspect into any of the books that I write. You know, it's fine and dandy providing the basic information on how to grow a particular plant. But I'd like to go that one little step further and, and provide that little extra tidbit of information just to get, you know, the reader thinking and, you know, say, oh, I didn't know that, you know, so I, th I think it's worthwhile. Yeah. And, and you know, you have that history of being an educator and it's obvious it, it's going to come through. And in what ways might we be educated if we visited the Botanical Garden in St. John's? Okay, what would so we learn? 
So we are pretty much the only botanical garden in the province. And um, as much as we have like Barring Park, well, that's a municipal park or a city park. And as much as Barring Park can look sometimes a little bit similar to our botanical garden, the main difference is that in a botanical garden, the plants will be labeled. Okay, so you will see little labels next to the plants that will give you information about, you know, where's that plant from? Again, is it from China? Is it from North America? Whatever. It'll give you the Latin name of the plant and it'll give you the common name of the plant. So you can come up here to the garden and you can learn a little bit more about the plants. We have a wide variety of plants, of course, that we're growing from all over the world. Um, so it'll give you some ideas about maybe some of the more unusual plants that you didn't realize we could grow. But the other aspect of our botanical garden as well is we do have a demonstration vegetable garden. So if you're a novice gardener, you want to get some ideas, you know, well, how can I grow some lettuce? How can I grow some kale? And my garden, you come to the garden, you can see how we're growing and we grow them all in raised beds. So exactly as you were growing, that is the way to go really for a lot of beginning gardeners. Um, it's the easiest way to control your pests, keep an eye on your weeds, keep an eye on your watering and whatnot. And so you can come to garden, we grow a wide variety of different types of vegetables. Um, we grow some small fruit plants as well, things like uh, currants and gooseberries, very easy ones for us to grow here in Newfoundland. And if you want to have your own produce, that's the way to go. Um, and you'll also get some ideas of exactly, you know, how can I create a cottage garden in my garden? How can I create a rock garden in my garden? You might want to learn about some of the old varieties of plants that have been growing in Newfoundland gardens for over 100 years. So you can go and visit then our, what we call our heritage garden. We also have two active beehives. So it's a great opportunity if you want to learn more about pollinators and the importance of pollinators, because that's a real big buzz these days in the gardening world, is what can we do as gardeners to help nature, you know, help the pollinators. We know they're very, very important to our health and important to the, uh, the, uh, the health of the environment as well. So you can come to the garden, see our beehives, see our pollinator garden, what kind of plants that we're growing that are very beneficial to pollinators. So, you know, it's such a huge, huge amount of learning that you can you can grasp when you come to the botanical garden. Mm, and just hearing you talk about it, I'm going, okay, yeah, there's, I can see why so many people can be drawn into this area because you can go into it on many different levels from the point of view of health to the point of view of just enjoyment. And generally that's health because you've got to be out there looking after the garden too. It's, exactly. it's, it's a wonderful, a wonderful thing to be doing. And when you mentioned the um, tags and the identification that you use, I mean, those Latin names, what, what's up with that? You just do that to torture us? Or? <laughs> no, I'm trying to educate you. <laughs> Not torture. There's no torture involved. Um, in the botanical world, the problem is, is, of course, you got gardeners that are gardening all over the world. So how do you communicate? If you're talking to someone from France, you're talking to someone from Germany, uh, they're speaking a foreign language. You know, us saying, referring to a plant as lungwort or a tree as a dogberry tree, that's fine locally if you're talking to a local person from Newfoundland. But as soon as you move over to other parts of the world, they don't know what you're talking about. So botanists as a group of people decided we're going to use a, a name for every living organism, because not just plants, every living organism has what we call a scientific name. And that scientific name is in Latin. And Latin, of course, is not a language that's spoken by anybody today. Okay, So it's a what we consider a dead language. So no matter where in the world you are, you're, everyone's at the same disadvantage. 
we all have to learn a new language here, okay? And, and the language in the botany world is, is Latin. So the whole idea is that you give a plant a name that can be recognized no matter where in the world you're, you're visiting. So if you come, if I go to a botanical garden in Germany, or if I go to a botanical garden in Japan, um, and they have their little name tag, it will be in Japanese, or it'll be written in German, or it'll be written in French, but the Latin name is the Latin name. So even if I don't speak the language, I will still know what plant they're referring to there. So it's really just a way for us gardeners and us botanists to more clearly communicate across language barriers. Makes sense. And there's a good reason to have your book on <laughs> when you're, when you're Another going. Another point, too, that I'll, I'll bring up in regards to the Latin names, too. Yeah. That, of course, this day and age now, we're all, we're all using the Internet to get more information. Mm -hmm. Internet's got all sorts of information out there. So if you were going to do a, a, a search, you want to know, I want to know more about a dogberry tree. Okay. We all know what a dogberry tree is. You put in Google search how to grow a dogberry tree, you'll probably get no hits. Because dogberry is only known as a dogberry in Newfoundland, all right? But now if you know the Latin name, which is called sorbus, and you go on how do I grow a sorbus tree, you'll get all sorts of hits, okay? So that's the other advantage in knowing what is the Latin name of a common plant that you grow, because then if you want to find more information, a Google search will give you a lot more information based on the Latin name than it will on a common name. Mm, makes sense, and I'm glad that I know that now. <laughs> I'll pay more attention to the Latin names. And, you know, Todd, you're also a photographer, and I wanted to share some photos and that you've sent along. I'm just going to put them up in the stream. And tell us a little about this, what, what these are. And this is all your work, isn't it? And it's in, all your work is in, are in the books. The books are very beautiful to look at as well as the information that they share. So take well, us on a little tour. <laughs> the, whole, the whole idea is a photo, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So uh, I'd like to include as many photos as, as we can, you know, with that, within, within a certain limit, of course. So I've been in photography for many, many, many years um, and particular plants because I mean, I've tried to photograph birds. They fly away. Plants don't go anywhere. <laughs> so they're very easy. Um, so what you're seeing here now is a plant that Newfoundlanders call soldiers and sailors. Call that because when the flowers first open, they're, they're pinkish red. And then as the age, you turn to blue. So you have both the soldiers in red and the, and the sailors in blue. But in the real world, okay, we call it pulmonaria. That's the Latin name. But if you're on the mainland, they call it lungwort. And it's called lungwort because it has white spots on the leaves. And it looks vaguely uh, like a, a dissected human lung in that regards. Interesting. <laughs> Never seen one of those, but I, oh, here we go. This is beautiful. This is gorgeous. Beautiful. So this is sort of our one of our signature plants at the Botanical Garden. This is the Himalayan blue poppy. And it's sort of the Rolls Royce uh, of perennials that you can grow in your garden. And we're very fortunate here in Newfoundland because it's a plant from the Himalayas, but it hates summer heat. So for us here on the coast in Newfoundland, it just loves it. it I mean, in fact, it starts to to suffer when the temperature gets much above about 22, 23 degrees Celsius. So even in central Newfoundland, where you can reach up to the high 20s, this plant might not, might not be particularly happy. Um, so mm. really, when you look at it from a Canadian perspective, there's only coastal Newfoundland, some parts of coastal Atlantic Canada and the Gaspé Peninsula, and then not until you get to coastal BC that you can grow this particular plant. 
Yeah, well, it, it, it's got lots of company here in Newfoundland because you always hear the people in summer, oh, it's too hot. You know, it's like 30 or 28, 30, and they're just complaining. Well, I'll, I'll suggest that they start moving somewhere where these plants are. There you go. Because <laughs> I want it as hot as it can be. These will not be in my garden. No, okay. <laughs> Beautiful as they are. <laughs> now, yeah. this one you can grow in your garden, okay? So this is the standard. It's just a, a, a clustering of different hostas. And really, it's a plant that's grown for its foliage, more so than its flowers. But there's so many varieties, hundreds and hundreds of varieties. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a gardener anywhere in the province that doesn't have at least one hosta growing in their garden. And a number of us, like myself, <laughs> I have about 60 different varieties of hosta in my <laughs> garden. So I'm a bit of a hosta freak. Um, and there are other hosta freaks out there. <laughs> now, well, they're beautiful plants and they, you know, they grow nicely and deck from a decorative point of view. They look good. And, and I've got three, by the way. There you go. And they grow well <laughs> in the shade. And of course, a lot of gardeners do have shade as an issue. Yeah. Uh, and that's certainly a limiting factor as to what you can grow. But most hostas will do reasonably well in the shade. Yeah, they do, actually. And here we go. Oh, lovely. Hmm. So this is just a, a, a late summer scene um, in a perennial border. And the yellow you see there is a plant that's called um, the rocket. It's called Ligularia the rocket. I think the common name is called rayflower. And uh, the white one is called masterwort. Strantia is the proper Latin name. And then the orange is what we call crocosmia, which is a type of bulb. And crocosmia is the Latin name. So, you know, we, a lot of us glaze over for Latin names. Well, you probably already know a number of them. The names like Wygela, um, that's already hydrangea, though that is a name, phlox, that's the Latin name. So a few of the common names are the Latin names. So don't think you really need to learn a new language. You, you probably already do know a little bit of a different language. <laughs> Maybe, and this is very pretty here, the pink and yellow. And oh. Yeah, I love mixing pink with yellow. And a lot of artists would say, oh my God, you can't mix pink and yellow together, They're such clashing colors. But um, in this case here, this is uh, Philippangela purpurea, which is queen of the prairie, uh, queen of the meadow, and it's combined with yellow loosestrife, not to be com confused with purple loosestrife, which is a very invasive plant you probably don't want to have in your garden. Yellow loosestrife, on the other hand, is perfectly well tamed. Hmm. Let me see. We've got, oh, here's another one. Pretty. Yeah. So this is a bleeding heart. So this again, it's a plant. It's a heritage plant. People have been growing it in the land forever, it seems. And yet so many people are surprised when I tell them this plant is a wild plant from Japan. And, you know, and you don't think we could grow anything here in Newfoundland from Japan. But what's interesting is that northern Japan, the island of Hokkaido, is actually, climatically speaking, the most similar to Newfoundland in the world. So we don't realize our Japan is a very long country, okay? So the mm -hmm. of Japan is almost subtropical. The northern part of Japan, the island of Hokkaido, is very, very similar to Newfoundland in regards to its climate. So if you find any plants that are native to Hokkaido, they will do very well in Newfoundland. Uh, another good example of that is the old-fashioned uh, Ragosa rose, the old-fashioned rose that everyone has in their garden, especially in coastal Newfoundland. That is a plant that grows wild on the beaches of northern Japan. So is that the wild rose? Is is that what we call call it? Is well, it some of the Fernandes call it a wild rose, but it, I mean we do have native wild roses with little single pink flowers. Mm -hmm. But what Newfoundlanders oftentimes call the wild rose growing in their gardens are much higher shrubs. They'll probably get to five, six feet high, sometimes a bit higher, and they have semi-double flowers in white or sort of a purpley pink color. So you know, and very, very, very thorny. 
but you can find them in a lot of outport communities and they're very easy to propagate. People sort of spread them around very rapidly. So it's another heritage plant in Newfoundland. Mm, and this one here is a, <laughs> this what is plant is this? Oh, is oh no, I know what it is. It's <laughs> the, the kids hit the top. Oh my the... gosh, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't beat up this plant. <laughs> so this is what we call the peony, okay? And again, the peony. a very popular plant. A lot of people do grow them in Newfoundland. There are a number of heritage varieties of this as well. Um, fully double flowers, nicely fragrant. They're just getting ready to bloom now. Um, I was in Traytown just a couple of days ago um, in a Grover Town area, and I saw the, the pink in the buds, but they're not quite open yet. Um, so, you know, in the next couple of weeks, they should be in full bloom. Beautiful thing, as long as we get dry weather, which we've been getting lately, um, then the flowers will stay upright. If we get any heavy rain and wind, then the flowers sort of grow down and sort of kiss the ground, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, and we can, and it can change. I just want oh. to throw up a, a yeah, <laughs> we know. We know, we know how the You especially know out on the East Coast. Um, right. There's information on the Botanical Gardens on uh, Facebook, and also you have a webpage, which I'm sure is a wealth of information. And yep. I just want to mention Boulder Books here because they're bringing these beautiful books to gardeners and around the region and and you're doing all the work it's it's incredible and uh this is the one that's going to be out this summer i'd like to have you come back because we hardly have enough time to cover everything that that we could and this is the current book so running a few things there todd any um final words we just have to to wrap up here but if um you had one point to leave people with what might that be well, you know, a lot of people think they have brown thumbs or black thumbs, but I think everyone's got a green thumb somewhere. And it's just a matter of finding that right plant that does well in your right conditions. Um, and, you know, and once you find that sweet spot in your garden for that one particular plant, hopefully then that'll be the, the breaking out, the blooming point, we'll say, in your garden for, for you to reach out then, um, branch out, no pun intended, and start growing more variety of plants. So I really want to encourage people, there's nothing like growing your own plants, especially if you can grow some of your own vegetables as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. And everyone, I hope you enjoyed this. If you have questions, if you're watching this uh, next week uh, or the week after, put your questions in there and we'll, we'll try to track that and get some answers from Todd for you. Have a great day, everyone. And thank you for joining Let's Get Writing. And Todd, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So please let us know what you thought of this episode and share your ideas for future guests or topics. You can email us at letsgetwriting at katherinetaylor.ca. Don't forget to subscribe and even leave a review. If you love this episode, share it with a friend. Until next time, believe in yourself and let's get writing.